Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. Eric, it got lost in the hoopla surrounding the main event, but Tyson Fury scraping past Francis Ngannou, it turns out, was not the most interesting thing to happen in the ring in Riyadh last weekend. Uh, Congolese heavyweight Martin Bacoli dispatched former world title challenger Carlos Takam inside four rounds. Pretty impressive performance, you would think. But it's all the more so given that he revealed afterwards that during the bout, he actually swallowed a wasp that stung him several times in the mouth. Uh, kind of amazing. I mean, look, plenty of weird things have happened in the boxing ring over the years but uh wasp attacks <laughs> mid-fight that's the new one on me how about you Jeez, as if we needed more reasons not to go visit Saudi Arabia. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, th this is a new one. Stung by a wasp during a fight. Um, it leaves me with a lot of questions. Uh, how did it get in his mouth if he had a proper mouthpiece in? Like, was Bacoli really gasping that hard for air that he had his mouth wide open for a moment and the wasps got in there? Or, or, or was it one of those mouthpieces with the little breathing hole in the middle and the wasp somehow snuck in the little hole? I don't know. I, I have questions, but um, certainly I want to give huge credit to Bacoli for being able to continue fighting while a wasp was stinging the inside of your mouth uh, and not just continuing to fight, but but winning and and knocking your opponent out. Um, I, I don't know. This is among the crazier stories I could recall in boxing. And um, I kind of want to have Bacoli on the podcast to ask all these follow up yes. questions. Let, let's do some real journalism. Uh, Martin, <laughs> if you're listening, hit us up. I want to ask you about uh, 45 minutes or so worth of questions about that wasp. Yes, assuming you're able to talk to us. I assume the swelling's gone down right, by now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully so. Yeah, and I had me thinking about some of the other stuff that's gone on in the ring. I mean, obviously, like there's the fan man, of course. I was mm -hmm. thinking about. I think it was Andrew Sixheads Lewis who had to abandon a fight to go take a crap. And... <laughs> right. <laughs> and may, I, I may think, not have made it. <laughs> yeah, I think if I'm remembering the details of that one correctly, he actually uh, did crap his pants, I believe, uh, whether in the ring or on his way back to the dressing room. I, I hope I don't have that wrong and I'm uh, sticking him with, uh, with with that accusation that if it's not true. But I think I think that's what I recall. There. Yeah, yeah. Let's just make up details. I, I heard he was flinging his feces at the crowd actually on the <laughs> way back to the dressing room. Right. That's basically. Oh, and then what else? Uh, oh, of course, there's the all-time classic of Mills Lane KOing Bernard Hopkins. That, oh, that, yeah. that was a good one. Can't forget yeah. that. Right. I did. I when you said Mills Lane, there were still many different directions you could have gone there because he was. If if Mills Lane was a, was the referee, there was a high chance of weirdness. Whether it's Oliver McCall crying or the bite fight or the one you just referenced. Uh, plus, he did Fan Man. So yeah, Hugging Henry can one day. Did he do that one too? I think he when may he have been the one who disqualified. That's that I can't say for sure off the top of my head, but that may have been Mills. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Yes. So there you go. But despite all of that. Martin Bacoli, you're right in that list. Uh, <laughs> yes. And that's, that's, that's pretty impressive. And, and yes, congratulations indeed. Uh, it is a quiet week in the world of boxing, possibly also in the world of wasps, I'm not certain. But <laughs> we do have a couple of fights to recap briefly. We will discuss the Hall of Fame ballots, which we filled out and returned this week. Uh, there are continued reverberations from Fury's close shave against Nganu. And of course, we also have the fight game and the top five list. Uh, but first... We are continuing our look back at 37 years of Showtime boxing this week, and our guest has been in front of the Showtime cameras as both a boxer and an analyst. He is our good friend, former 154-pound champ, and now former Showbox analyst, 
Raul El Diamante Marquez. Raul, welcome back, buddy. Uh, great to be back, man. Uh, it's always uh, it's always been fun. Every time I've been on your show, uh, we we have a good time. Absolutely, you you are definitely one of our favorite guests over the years, and uh, we've Thank been you. trying trying to get in uh, some of our favorites for uh, one one last appearance before the year is out. And uh, you know, I, I did this last week when we interviewed Steve Farhood, another one of our favorites. I'm I'm going to do it again with you, Raúl, and 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 that start with the biggest bummer question, in the hope that the conversation can get happier as it goes along. So so right. let's get it out of the way. Uh, what were your thoughts when you heard the news that Paramount was ending Showtime Sports and Showtime Boxing? And with a little time now to digest it, how how are you feeling at this point? Well, I mean, it was uh, it was very sad. I mean, I was very very upset. Very upset to hear that. And uh, I guess we kind of knew in some kind of way something was going to happen. You know, I want to say in the past year or so, year and a half. But for whatever reason, you know, uh, Steven Espinoza and, you know, Gordon Hall, they, they still continued the Showbox program and the Showtime Championship program. But we knew something was going to happen. But we, I guess I didn't, for me, you know, I didn't think it was going to come to an end. I never thought that it would come to an end. I just thought, Maybe there'll be some changes and, you know, a lot of what we hear now that it's going to go to a different platform, which nobody knows where it's going to be at. But yeah, it's still very upsetting, man. I mean, I, I was, I was with uh, Showtime, you know, doing not only Showbox, uh, but also the big fights on Showtime Championship Boxing with my partner Alejandro Luna doing it in Spanish uh, for many years. You know, I joined Showtime in uh, 2012, in February of 2012. That's when I did my first show. Uh, actually here in Texas, in Corpus Christi. Um, and then in that same year, in October, I did my first uh, Showbox show, uh, or I auditioned for my first Showbox show of that same year. So, you know, it's it's a lot of memories. It's, you know, you get, it's, it's I know you hear this over and over again, it's repetitive, but it's a, it was, it's a great family, you know. Uh, I've been with other, you know, when I was with HBO, HBO Latino, and, and I've done other broadcasting uh, platforms that I've been with in the past. I've been doing broadcasting since 1997 when I was still a fighter. So mm -hmm. I've, I've been around. I've been around. So I've been I've, I've done broadcasting with a lot of a lot of guys in English and Spanish. So but, you know, I, I, I believe for me, you know, Showtime has been one of the closest and, and, and nicest uh, people that, you know, is a family that that I work for. And, and uh, it's, it's just very sad that that. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and, you know, we're not going to be able to, you know, spend that that time together, not only as working, you know, but we also had our fun having our showtime showbox dinners, man. It, you could never forget that in, you know, different places all over the United States, and especially for showbox, the most, uh, you know, weirdest places that we would go and, and cover shows, you know, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, it's it's very, um, it's very sad. And it, sometimes it's... It, you know, it, it kind of gets to me, you know, but, you know, me and my wife, we talk and, you know, it, it, when you get so used to uh, a certain uh, people that you work around and then all of a sudden it just, it's going to stop, you know, after 11 years, a lot of miles, you know, United miles and, you know, on the road and hotels and, you know, different fighters you're covering it, man, it's, it's, it makes a big impact on, on, in, in your life. Uh, and, you know, uh, we just hope for the best. You know, we hope, you know, something comes new comes out of this. You use the word family and that's something I think Steve used the same word yeah. last week. And, and it's something I think that especially with Showbox, 
really comes across on the screen. And I think what people don't realize is just the number of times when you're on the road a lot with the same people and you, and you just build up this 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 tremendous relationship and you've got a lot of trust in each other and a lot of faith in each other. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that, about the family aspect of working for Showtime. Well, you know, Showbox really made me feel like a family because, uh, you know, when I started, I might have, you know, you all, there's always room for improvement. You know, I'm just glad that my first time that I started, you know, they liked what I saw and, and I grew from there. But you could tell the love that that everybody had. Everybody helps you from the cameraman, the stage manager, uh, people behind the scenes. Of course, you know, my producer who's Rich Gone, uh, Gordon Hall, you know, Barry Tompkins, Steve Farhood. They were always there uh, trying to help me and, and, and trying to utilize uh, better uh, vocabulary, you know, because, you know, <laughs> boxing is such a repetitive sport, you know. But and so when you do broadcasting, you got to use different words. You got to be different. You can't be the same. Oh, it's a good left hook. Okay, everybody knows it's a good left hook. You know, you know, talk about that left hook. Why is it so good? You know, that they would bring that out of me and they would teach me and they would make me feel comfortable. And they, sometimes even when I had the, the times that I had, you know, some uh, blurbs in the, on cameras, you know, I said, don't worry about it. You know, everybody, it happens to the best of us. You know, do this, do that. Uh, you know, I know Steve Farr helped me with the note cards, you know, write bullets so it'll get you there. Uh, and Steve's been a, a lot of help, you know, in, in, in all kinds of ways. You know, he's, he's a boxing encyclopedia. And, of course, Barry Tompkins. I mean, he's been my mentor for ye years, you know. Like, I've known Barry. He covered me in the amateurs, you know, when I was in the Olympic Festival, the Olympics, all that stuff. So he would also help me, you know. And, and it's just the, the the team, the family. They all make you feel so comfortable, loved. Uh, and you could never do anything wrong. If it was wrong, you know, it could never be wrong. It's always going to get better, you know. So uh, it's hard to find a family like that. You know, a lot of people that they have a job and, you know, they, they know that that's their job, but they don't like to go to that job because they don't like to work around certain people. <laughs> Guess what? I look forward to going to my job. I look forward to going to, you know, Vegas or even Miami, Miami, Oklahoma and the boonies, you know, uh, I mean, there's so many places that uh, that we would go to. Sloan, Iowa, you know, the, the cold weather there, Deadwood, South Dakota. Uh, but when we got together, we made the best out of it. We had great dinners, great conversations. And when it was time to work and do our own cameras, we 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 were hard workers and we and we we did it, man. We and and you guys read, you know, we were our team, me, Barry and Steve. And now that Brian Campbell's on, but we were one of the best broadcasting teams out there. Like people talk about it. Absolutely. I'm, so yeah, I'm, man, it's uh, it's tough. It's, it's, you know, it, it really is. It really is. You, you got me thinking about something that, that I'm just curious about because uh, you know you mentioned the uh, the Spanish language work that, that you do as well. Um, yes. I'm very familiar with your English language commentary. I would not be able to judge your Spanish language commentary because I wouldn't know what you're saying. But I'm just curious from your perspective, is there one, do you think you're better in one language or the other or more comfortable in one language or the other, having done so much of both? I'm going to be honest with you. I am more comfortable doing English. Uh, okay. And I think I'm better in doing English. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm better. You know, I moved, uh, you know, when I was, I was born in Mexico, but I came here when I was two years old. So all my schooling was done here in in Houston, actually, we were in Chicago, and then we settled here in Houston. But elementary, middle school, high school, uh, you know, it was all English. Obviously, I went to a bilingual school, but 
you know, my I would think my first language, even with my kids here, we talk in English. So yeah, I'm I'm better off in English because even even with the World Championship uh, boxing uh, show, um, I was able to do uh, five five shows and work with the you know with Mauro and those guys, Al Bernstein, and uh, I loved it. You know, yeah, but I, I I think I do better in English than Spanish. So whether whether English or Spanish, uh, I'm not sure which you did first. But w- w- what was your entry into first starting to do commentary? You you mentioned you were actually still you first did it in in '97 when you were still not just still a fighter, but that was the year you were a champion that year, right? Yeah, yeah. In 1997, actually, it was before I became a champion. I okay. was doing a fight in Sacramento, in Sacramento, and um, it was I believe it was a Telemundo show. And one of the guys had, uh, you know, they had broken their leg. And Rick Sierra, I don't know if you guys know Rick Sierra. Yeah, yeah we know Rick. Okay, yeah, you know Rick Sierra, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so he's like, come on, man, you want to try broadcasting? I said, yeah, I'll try it. So I came in, and uh, I liked it. And being, obviously, they like me, being the aggressive-minded guy that I was in boxing, you know, I come forward and I, I look for things. I'm like that in life, period. You know, when I, when I met my wife uh, at my gym, I said, I need to talk to this girl. You know, I got to find a way to figure out how I'm going to get to this girl. And I gave her free private lessons. You know, she's, how much are the private lessons? Oh, they're for free. Don't worry about it. So <laughs> I'm aggressive like that. So, you know, with the broadcasting, I, I, I just kept, you guys know the business. I kept asking, where else can I do what? And they kept calling me. And before you know it, it just grew. But, I, you know, I, I did so many platforms, you know, HBO Latino, uh, Azteca America, uh, Fox Deportes. I did, remember when I did NBC Sports with Bob Papa in English. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that boxing series, Rocky Juarez and Juan Diaz. I, I, I worked international calls with Steve Harhood, uh, Rich Murata, uh, the late, the Colonel. I did so much stuff with the Colonel uh, and, and learned from all those guys. Barry Tompkins, uh, Al Bernstein, uh, you name it. I, I worked Kurt Menifee. I've done pay-per-view shows. I, mm-hmm. I've done a lot. I, you know, I, I did a lot. So uh, it, it grew. It grew. And, you know, but in 2012, that's when I feel like you know, finally, all that hard work paid off, and and me and Alejandro Luna had been doing uh, Fox Deportes with with top ranked boxing. They had a thing on Fox Deportes, English and Spanish. Because I remember Rich Morata and Barry Tompkins would do it, and me and uh, Alejandro Luna would do it in Spanish. And then we came out of that bunch when in 2012, I guess, you know, uh, Gordon Hall and 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 you know uh, Spinoza and and Rich Gone, they they got a hold of me and Alejandro. And I remember in February of 2012, that was my first shot in doing Spanish. Uh, who was fighting Corpus Christi at the America, America Bank Center in, in uh, Corpus Christi? Uh, uh, one of those heavyweights. Uh, Tavares Cloud was fighting. Paul Williams was the main event. Chris Ariola and Eric Molina. That was it. That they, was on that card. And that week, the week before that, or I want to say that week of the fight, no, I want to say it was the week before the fight. I, I had problems with my gallbladder. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make the story short, I had problems with my gallbladder. I was having bad pain. And I would go to the emergency room. The lady told me, you need to get the gallbladder out. You, it's, it's not good. You, you got to get it out. I said, but no, but I next week I got a show. I cannot say no to this. I can't. Because if I say no, you know, Eric Raskin is going to take my spot in Spanish. <laughs> I can't let that happen. You know what I mean? Somebody... Mulvaney, you know, you never know. Somebody's going to learn Spanish and take that spot from us. No, I got to do it. And I said, look, can we do the surgery? Can you get it out? And would I be okay the next day? 
She's like, you should be. You're pretty healthy. You're fine. So I did the surgery. They took my gallbladder out. As soon as they took it out, I'm telling you, by 6, 7 o'clock in the morning, I was already getting up, and I was shadow boxing. Oh, I feel good. I'm ready. So luckily, the fight was in Corpus Christi. So I drove to Corpus Christi for that show. You know, I didn't have to fire nothing. And I remember everybody, you know, saying, hey, Raul. Everybody gave me a hug. Oh, no, no, hold on. Because everybody knew <laughs> that. I mean, I still got, you know, I got surgery, you know, my stomach and stuff. And uh, sure enough, yeah, I did that show and everything came out good. And I stuck to to uh, Showtime Championship Boxing for all those years doing, you know, like I said, Spanish and English. I even did translating one time for Phyllis de Jesus when his mom passed away. And I, they say, you want to do translate? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go up there and do it too. So, and then that same year, in October, that same year, I, I that's when I tried out for Showbox. Uh, it was a, a Tevin Farmer. And I, I believe Jermaine Taylor fought on that card. Mm -hmm. uh, Tevin Farmer fought the sniper Pedraza, I believe. Yeah, Pedraza. Uh, so uh, that was my first show on, on Showbox. Uh, outside of St. Louis, uh, St. Charles, I believe some small town and some casino. I I, start, I was excited to work with Barry Tompkins and Steve Farhood and, you know, I met the whole group and they brought me back again in November and I brought me back in December and then boom, the next year they gave me a contract. And ever since then, I, I want to thank, you know, like, you know, of course, Steven Espinoza and, and Gordon Hall for never giving up on me, man, because Gordon did have some talks with me. He laughs about it now where, yeah, I used to make you think you were going to, that was the end of you. That was <laughs> <laughs> Gordon, Gordon, but you know, that just made me better, man. That made me better. But we laugh about that now because Gordon used to tell me, you know, he, he would make me feel like this might be it for Raul. And I was like, I go back home and tell my wife, I don't know, Gordon, he didn't sound too good, man. But all he was doing is pushing me. And, you know, he knows that he knew I was talented, but he just wanted me to be better. And and I wanted to be better, too. And I'm always hard on myself. And, you know, I live for this. I love broadcasting. I love to break it down for people, for fans. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I I stuck to the whole thing of, you know, being pressured and not knowing what's going to happen. And thank God, you know, and it's like I said, this, at the end of the road, man, it's it's really sucks, man. It. It sucks with a big S, okay? <laughs> Golly, man. It's crazy. Yeah. It really yeah. is. I mean, I just, you go back and forth and think about what 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 happened or how did this happen or whatever, you know? And it just, I mean, mm. you, 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 you guys understand me, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. yeah. And I'm wondering if one other element, like we got to see Giovanni on Showbox, but I'm sure you were thinking in your head, man, I want to be around when Giovanni's on S Showtime Championship Boxing or yep. a pay-per-view. And it must oh, yeah. have been something that was in your head. And how, obviously, he'll he'll be on whatever platform there is and, and he'll be fine. But yeah, how personally sad is it for you that, that you guys won't get that opportunity? Well, well, look, you, you guys covered, you know, when well, you covered Giovanni and we talked about it when, whenever he uh, debuted on Showbox. You know, mm -hmm. that was a big night for us, for the whole Marquez team, you know, like, uh, him fighting and then me coming back and covering the fights and sitting down and all the excitement, all the emotions, uh, all me being nervous because, I mean, this is my my son's pro debut, you know, and it's on Showtime, my Showbox. And, yes, of course, you know, uh, we we didn't – I, I did. And and obviously it's not going to happen on Showtime no more because that, that'll be gone. But we, we I did envision my son one day fighting for the world title on Showtime. That would have been huge. That would have been big. Um Unfortunately, it's not going to happen, you know, but Giovanni 
you know, he's young. He's, you, you go, you guys follow him. His career continues. You know, uh, we thank Showtime and Showbox and everybody that was involved for uh, allowing us. You know, that was a you know a big platform for someone like Giovanni that just came out of the amateurs and won the national Golden Gloves. And not because he's my son, but you know, he's also talented. He's got some talent, but you know, not just anybody fights on Showbox. You know, and uh, we're lucky that we had the opportunity. Uh, to show his skills on there, and uh, it was it was a big night for us, and it was it was in Deadwood, <laughs> we made the best out of Deadwood, South Dakota, you know, uh, and uh, yeah, Gio's like he continues, you know, he just fought not too long ago. Uh, so far, he's fought on 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 Showtime, he fought on the Zone, and he's fought on ESPN uh, Plus on the top rank card, and uh, good things are coming. Good things are coming, guys. All right, so we we do have uh, a couple of, of Showtime shows remaining still, uh, and uh, we ought to ask you to put on the the analyst hat for us uh, for for one of them. The pretty big main event coming up at the end of November, uh, yeah. Benavidez and 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 Andrade. I'm just curious. Uh, it's it's a really interesting style matchup where I personally have not made up my mind yet how I think this fight's going to play out. What's how do you see these styles meshing, and do you see one guy as as the favorite in this fight? Yeah, and you're right about that about the style matchup. It's because you know, Buba and Andrade, Andre or Andrade. Yeah, that, keep, you, lately he's been going back and forth and starting to say Andrade after saying Andre, okay, Andrade well, Mexican, for years. I'm so Mexican. I don't know. Okay, so I'm Mexican and I go with Andrade. Andrade. Go for it. Andrade <laughs> is like I don't know French or something. I don't know what that is. Andrade. So I'm gonna go. I'm not gonna go the Gringo way, Andre. I'm gonna go the Mexican way, <laughs> Andrade. Okay. He. Hey, listen. He was a. He was a bad, bad dude in the amateurs. He was he was a really good amateur. One of the, you know, a big big names in the amateur. Great, great amateur. He really was. Uh, he's 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 very talented. He's 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 a boxer. You know, he's a boxer first. He's a technician. He's very awkward, and um, he can give Benavides a lot of problems. I think he can early on. Early on, he can give Benavides a lot of problems. Can can the fight end up being a boring fight? Because of his style and you know the way he moves, and he uh, he he he's got a very difficult uh, style to figure out. You know, he really does, and uh, you know I don't know, but I believe that in the second half of the fight, uh, I just think Benavides has the momentum going. You know he he wants to show the world that he is the guy at 168. He wants the Canelo fight. He wants the big money fight. And uh, I think Benavides will get him in the later rounds or get him by decision. The worst case scenario could be just a, a, a boring fight for 12 rounds because uh, Boo Boo won't commit or, or, or make it more of a fight, you know, because he, he's smart. You know, he's going to hold on. He's going to box. He's, he'll find a way to survive if, he, if it goes that way. Uh, in the past, we've seen Andrade, uh, his last fight. His last fight, he, I mean, he didn't look too impressive. He took care of business. I felt. At times, he could have finished the guy. And it's been other fights where he kind of hurts the fighters, and he just doesn't finish. Uh, I don't know if you guys see that, but right. I've seen it in the past. Like So, yeah, that's that's what I think about that fight. But I've I been, you know, Benavidez with his flurries and his, you know, the way he pressures and he loads up, and he, he's he, he's on a roll right now. He's he's hungry. He's hungry. That I He's hungry, and when, when you fight a hungry fighter, that's dangerous. Yeah. Um, so to wrap up, I gotta ask you, you know, you mentioned you used to work for, you know, HBO Latino as well, five, six years ago, 
HBO and Showtime were the absolute two pinnacles of boxing broadcasting, like way above everybody else. HBO is gone. Showtime is about to be gone. Um, what do you think as not just a broadcaster, but as an ex-boxer, as the father of a boxer, what are your feelings about the state of the sport and about the state of broadcasting of the sport as we go into 2024? Well, I mean, the state of boxing, you know, like for right now, PBC, they they have a lot of talent. They have a lot of, I mean, hey, they send the face of boxing, Canelo Alvarez. And then you got Tank Davis, you got Benavides, you got, you know, still Errol Spence and Crawford that, you know, that could fight. Uh, Jerron Ennis, and you got a bunch of other young talent coming up. Coming up. So the, the state of boxing is, I think it's alive. I, I don't, I'm not. I'm not worried about that. I mean, boxing is not going to stop. It's not like they're going to go on strike or something, you know. <laughs> uh, boxing is going to continue. Boxing is going to continue. The thing is, the whole I, the way people, you know, I, I'm not a an executive uh, boss, but the way TV looks at boxing now. Maybe that that's what's changing. You know, a lot of stuff is like the streaming, and a lot of stuff is on the phone apps and all that stuff. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm old school. Look, I had to see it on. I got a TV right here in my office. I got, I I must see it Showtime. I must see HBO. I can't really watch stuff on TV. Like that's not me. Like I'm 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 I like to watch it on a on a on a TV on a TV. I can't see it on the phone. You know what I mean? Right. I got to see it on the TV. So. But all that is changing. I see it with my, you know, I got a 30-year-old, I got a 26-year-old, I got a 22-year-old, and I got little ones, too. They, I mean, they live on the phone. They they see stuff on the phone and apps. and uh, So it's different, and I think that's that's what's coming in now. And, you know, the whole, the, the streaming services. Uh, because before, you know, back in my days, you know, when, when I fought on the, the pay-per-view, uh, show, HBO pay-per-view, TV, even TVKO, what was it called? Uh, yeah, I think I've right. put on that before. TVKO, yeah. When when uh, Holyfield fought, uh, it was in the East Coast. I fought a guy named Tommy Smalls. I don't know if you guys. I think you guys might have been there. Tommy Smalls. It was in in, in uh, Atlantic City at the Convention Center. Is that yeah. on like like the Holyfield Chess card or something like that? Yeah, somewhere so, around that Holyfield, time. So, I forgot who was the main event, but I okay. fought Tommy Smalls. Uh, you know, guy that went, he fought Chavez uh, Senior, and he fought a bunch of opponents, whatever. But I went eight rounds. That's back in the Duva days. So right. it's so different now. But the the landscape of the whole watching this events, even not not just boxing. I mean, basketball, football. I see how a lot of that is like the streaming services, where you know, and I think that's what's that that's what's next. You know, that's that, I mean, we've seen it with uh top rank boxing with the ESPN don't they 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 do ESPN plus and all that right. so i believe that that i mean from what i see that's what's that's what's happening and you know and i'm i'm hoping that um obviously you know pbc has a lot of fighters and you know that they they're going to find the right platform or or they, maybe they did already and um Hopefully they'll hire El Diamante, you know, <laughs> yeah, because everybody knows me as El Diamante. I, I kind of I got used to that. El Diamante, yeah. you know? <laughs> it's a great it's a great nickname. Yeah. No doubt about yes. it. But yeah, yes. I mean, I, th- I think we're all in the same boat a little bit going forward now of we're all we're all waiting to hear find out that PBC news. And I think we're all kind of hoping the band stays together in some form. But, uh, you know. Kind of wait, sit back and, and see wait. what you happens. Gotta sit, but... You got to be patient, and you know that's mm-hmm. that's the thing that everybody has to be patient. And you hear this, you hear that, but it, it's it's crazy because 
other things in the past they've always leaked out, you know, and right now nobody knows it. Nada. Yeah. <laughs> Nada. Nothing. It's to me, it's crazy, you know, but it, it's it's gonna happen here soon. Something has to happen. This guy's, I mean, you I hear Tank Davis is gonna fight and this other guy is gonna fight. Mayweather was supposed to do a paper uh, pay-per-view and that's not gonna happen now. Right. Uh I know that we're doing it, you know, we're doing the Benavides show. We're supposed to do a show December 9th, but that's not happening. Now it's December 16th, but it's not no Mayweather thing. So maybe they're sending Mayweather for the, you know, for the next year, wherever that's going. And, and a bunch of other fights. Canelo has to fight. Tank, like I said, Tank Davis, Jerron Ennis. There's so much. I mean, boxing is going to keep going, guys. Yep. Hmm. Well, hopefully next year. Whatever the platform is, you'll be working for it. We'll be working for it, and we can still keep having you on whatever form our podcast or whatever takes in the future. Because we've always loved having you on, buddy, and um, uh, all the best. And I really hope this is just the end of this chapter, and we'll all be back together again real soon. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way too, man. I look forward to it, and and uh, I, I appreciate the, the love that I get from you guys, and I'm, I'm, you know, look forward to next year. Many thanks, as always, to Raul. I don't know about you, but that felt especially poignant, especially at the end. Raul's always been such a good friend of the podcast. And, and as we all said, I certainly hope our paths cross down the road sooner rather than later, I hope. Yeah. I, uh, Raul Marquez is one of those people who I like him a little more every time I talk to him. He's, he's one yes. of those sort of people. What a great guy. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, let's turn to the news, and we'll do this in a more conventional boxing style, in a sense. We'll start with the undercard, go through the co-main, and finish with the main event. We just chatted with Raul about what cards remain on the Showtime calendar before everything is done and dusted. And as El Diamante indicated, multiple sources are reporting that the planned December 9th farewell pay-per-view is now off, and that Showtime's final card will be a December 16th Showtime Championship Boxing card from the Armory in Minneapolis, headlined by David Morrell against an opponent, TBD. Uh, meanwhile, we also have more information about the penultimate card, the November 25th pay-per-view at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas, headlined by David Benavidez taking on Demetrius Andrade slash Andrade slash Boo Boo. Um, it's it's like the Nonito Donayar yeah, thing. Yeah, I might, Boo Boo may be the way to go with him. Let's, let's do that, yeah. Uh, the co-main will see Benavides' brother, Jose, who has pi- plied his trade primarily at 147 pounds, but has moved up in weight in his last couple outings, taking on middleweight titleist Jamal Charlo in Charlo's first fight for two years. The undercard will also feature Subriya Matias taking on Shojahan Ergashev at 140 pounds, while the opener will be Lamont Roach against Hector Luis Garcia at 130 pounds. Eric, this feels to me like a card with some intrigue, and at least one possibly camp miss matchup. What do you think about it? Yeah, I, I like that November 25th pay-per-view undercard quite a bit. Um, like the Canelo Charlo undercard, it, it's just really strong top to bottom on paper. And look, none of us like the fact that there have been pretty much zero Showtime Championship boxing cards down the stretch here, but it has worked out to the benefit of those ordering these pay-per-views because PBC has lots of good fighters to try to keep active. And so we, again, have three... SCB level fights rounding out this card. Um, I assume Matias Ergashev is the one you meant is can't miss. Absolutely, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's that's a sensational fight. Um, Garcia Roach also pretty good. It's a, a near toss up. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlo Benavidez. Okay, that would appear to be two guys on different levels, but it's Jamal coming off the extended layoff. And he's taking on a guy with a name anyway. You know, it's a battle of guys who are 
part of boxing brother duos. That one is about name value and star power. The other two are just plain good fights. Um, as for the December 16th event, you know, after thinking about it a bit, I- I've decided it's a lot better to go out with a final Showtime championship card um, rather than a final pay-per-view. Um, this is a chance to say a proper goodbye with the whole Showtime subscriber base able to watch. Maybe I would have preferred for this to be in Vegas rather than Minneapolis. Might have been a more fitting setting to go out. But otherwise, this is a great way to go out. Um, From what we're hearing, it'll be a solid quality card. And the broadcasters and the highlight package editors will have their chance to exit in some sort of classy style. I'm good with this. I I might have liked to see both the December 9th and December 16th cards happen. But if we can only have one or the other, this is better, I think. Um, I'm very torn about whether I would accept a free trip to Minneapolis in December if offered, <laughs> but I guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. <laughs> right. um, let's touch only briefly on this next news item because we've covered it before. It's unpleasant and we probably don't need to waste any more time on this individual. Uh, Felix Verdejo, former lightweight contender, has been sentenced to two consecutive life sentences for the brutal murder of 27-year-old Keishla Rodriguez and their unborn child, Verdejo will never be free again, nor should he be. Uh, Kieran, anything to say, or should we just move on? Just that it, it remains hard for me to comprehend the sheer finality of what Verdejo did. This isn't even Edwin Valero stabbing his wife in a psychotic rage. This is a cold-blooded, exceptionally brutal execution. Uh, as a reminder, uh, people who've forgotten the facts or weren't completely aware of the facts, Rodriguez became pregnant with Verdejo's child. Verdejo wanted her to abort. She wouldn't. So he and an accomplice kidnapped her. Verdejo beat her up, he injected her with street drugs um, and tied her to a cement block, threw her off her bridge into a lagoon Jeez. and just to be sure, fired shots at her um, while she was in the lagoon, still unconscious, but still alive. What an absolutely appalling piece of crap that person has to be to do that. I just can't even fathom that. And, and I'm actually glad that instead of the death penalty, he has to face the rest of his life in jail thinking about what he did and i'm sure that somebody who commits that kind of crime is not going to be very popular in jail Mm -hmm. and uh yeah let this episode indeed be our final mention of that man yes um he will never be elected to the hall of fame of course and he will never set foot inside it uh but soon a new batch of boxes and others will be elected uh eric we set up our ballots this week and as we discussed previously it was a tricky year in that after an abundance of highly qualified contenders over the last few years, there were no slam dunks this year among the modern fighters. Did you actually vote for anyone in that category? And if so, who? Yeah, I mean, there have been years where I voted for fewer than the maximum, but I've always voted for someone. And, and usually if they say vote for up to five, I do vote for five. Uh, although I kind of landed this year on feeling like there were four people on the ballot who I decided I'm comfortable calling Hall of Famers. And then I had like another nine borderline candidates, Uh, but I did still pick one among them and vote for a fifth. But yeah, as you said, not a single slam dunk. Uh, Here's who I voted for. Um, I voted for one newcomer to the ballot, uh, Thailand's Virapal Sahapram. Um, I covered pretty much his whole career, albeit from afar. Exceptional record, 66-4-2 with 46 knockouts. He won a belt in his fourth pro fight. Very uh, Vasily Lomachenko of him. Uh, He lost it in his fifth pro fight, however, but then he built back up and won another belt nearly three years later and made 13 successful defenses over six and a half years. It was a magnificent run that 
I believe compares favorably by a small margin to a certain other lower weight fighter from around that same time period who's on the ballot. Uh, only none of Vera Pol's fights were televised in North America, so he gets a lot less hype from the boxing writers here. Um, next, the, the closest thing on the ballot to a slam dunk, in my view, basically the fighter I would vote for this year if I could only vote for one, Pong Saklek Wanjong Cam. Um, his record, 91, 5, and 2. With 47 knockouts with two of those losses in his first 11 fights and two in his last 10 fights. So only one in the heart of his career. He won a flyweight title in 2001 and made 17 successful defenses over six and a half years. Finally lost the title on a close decision, settled for a draw in the rematch. Then a couple of years later, regained the belt with an upset win over unbeaten Koki Kameda and made four more successful defenses before finally getting a little washed. Um, again, it's a bit like Ivan Calderon in that it was a long reign at a small weight and he didn't unify and the challengers are mostly nothing special, but the numbers are more impressive than Calderon's to me. He was among the top two or three Asian fighters for more than a decade. Um, next, I voted for Joel Casamayor. I voted for him in the past. I think his resume is underrated. He was damn good. I thought he deserved the decision win over Asleno Freitas in their 2002 unification fight. He won two of three over Corrales. He gave Juan Manuel Marquez a tough fight in 08. Just was a hard out for anyone. And I think if one of those non-Floyd 130-pounders from that era should get in, it should be Casamayor before Corrales or Freitas. Um, I mean, I think Freitas shouldn't get in, period. Chico maybe should, but but I think Casamayor should be first. Um, my fourth pick is Gennaro Hernandez. Again, someone I've voted for several times in the past. Only ever lost to Oscar and Floyd. Good reigns, borderline Hall of Fame resume, but the ultimate class act. And I think that counts for a little something when it's close. He has wins over Azuma Nelson, Jorge Paez, Famoso Hernandez. Basically, a solid choice in any down year on the ballot. Um, and then lastly, I went with Michael Nunn. Um, he was perhaps an underachiever and disappointment to some, but still had a Hall of Fame-ish career. He beat Frank Tate, Iran Barkley, Donald Curry, only lost in his prime to James Tony in a fight that he was leading against a clear-cut Hall of Famer. Again, none is totally borderline. I put a check mark next to his name over lots of roughly equally borderline choices for my last spot. But I think, you know, it's a case of catch me on a different day. Maybe I pick someone else instead of none. And that someone else would have come from among this group that I also considered Nigel Ben, Chris Eubank, Diego Corrales, Ricky Hatton, Santos Lesiar, Israel Vasquez, Wilfredo Vasquez. Um, and though I did not seriously consider Calderon just out of stubbornness and staying true to the brand I've built, um, I'll admit he fits in reasonably well among this group of names as, as a borderline candidate who I can squint and see a case for in a down year. But so so those are my five. Who did you end up voting for, Kieran? Um, I, there were lots of contenders or pace basically folks who would quite easily get voted into the hall of very good this year, yes. if not necessarily the, you know, the, the hall of fame and, and some of them you mentioned, uh, we have two names that we both voted for. I did okay. vote for Juan John Cam and I did vote for Chicanito Hernandez. Okay. Um, I, <laughs> of course, our great, our great point of, of divergence is Ivan Calderon. I voted for him before, so right. I have no problem this year voting for him. I debated whether to vote for anybody else. Um, I ultimately plumped for one of those who was in your group of nine, and I picked Ricky Hatton. Okay. In that, 
I think if you look dispassionately at his ring record, it's not a Hall of Fame record. Um, he had that great win, obviously, of Acosta Zoo. But again, he's in the Hall of the Very Good, not the Hall of Fame. But think about what else he brought to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, what he did for boxing in the United Kingdom, which is so strong now. And he was absolutely one of the vanguard of that. If you were in Las Vegas when he fought Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao, there could be no doubt whatsoever about what a following he had. Uh, and in terms of Hall of Fame, I think he belongs. And honestly, I think if he were American, he'd be in already. Um, yeah. The voter base is very is very much U.S. writers. I feel pretty good, actually, about voting for Ricky Hatton, even though objectively, if you look at his record, he probably doesn't doesn't fit. Uh, he belongs in there with some of the others, I think, who who scraped in in the past. So I feel pretty good about that. And I didn't vote for a fifth. I thought okay. I thought quite seriously about Miguel Happy Laura, hmm. who wasn't the most exciting of fighters, but had a pretty solid reign um uh for a few years i think from like 85 to to 87 and fought some pretty good fighters for guys like uh daniel zaragoza wilfred um uh gomez wilfredo gomez uh further weight so he was a he was a pretty good fighter and i thought very seriously about that you know i will say that the way in which the boxing hall of fame works kind of affects how i vote sometimes in that if this was one of the hall of fames that a fighter's got to reach 75% or something like that before they get elected. Right. I might have, I might not have voted for anybody, honestly. But three people are going in anyway. Right. So you may you <laughs> may as well lend some votes to the ones you find least objectionable as Hall of Famers. Precisely. And I feel pretty good about all of those. If I were to have a I don't know who's the more likely to actually get in. You know, uh, I, I I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I was I was uh, thinking about uh, posing that question to you of predicting which three are going to get in because I think I kind of think none of mine, but I do think two of yours. I think I, I said before when the ballots came out, I think this is Calderon's year. There's been enough chatter of groundswell of support, and again, I don't think he's far outside the bubble. Even if I don't quite consider him a Hall of Famer, he's as close as most of these guys, at least. So I think it's Ivan Calderon's year. I think Hatton will get in this year, I think. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, the more I looked at his record, the more it's not that far off. He, he had mm-hmm. a, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, the fact that he was participated in mega fights, even if he lost them against both Floyd Mayweather and Manny mm-hmm. Pacquiao, I think that counts in his favor. Uh, the win over Costa Zoo, and he had, a, you know, a few other quality wins uh, along the way. I think those two are probably the closest to being most likely to go in. And if I had to pick a third, again, sort of that U.S. bias, that the more modern, the better, I think, in terms of chances. I kind of think maybe this is Chico Corrales' year. Yeah, it could be. It's funny, given how popular of a fighter he was, uh, that he seems to be very rarely mentioned. And I think it's just because he's often maybe the choice or or right. something like that on a lot of ballots but it, it took a while for him to even get on the ballot if i yeah which was which was the strange. last few years yeah yeah I, I wasn't sure why he didn't get on in as soon as he was eligible but yeah he and hatton both 
very much fit the the Arturo Gatti corollary or principle or whatever you want to call it of like the resume is not quite there. They were both better fighters than Gatti. Maybe they were both less exceptional in terms of having that um, that intangible factor that puts them over the top. But they both had some degree of that intangible factor and popularity to go with a almost Hall of Fame resume. And uh, I, yeah, I could see both of them getting in this year. And then there's also the question, right, added to that. I mean, both Corrales and Gaddy were in two of the greatest fights of all time. Right. And they won them. And maybe you get a, a lot of extra points for that. Just well, Gaddy, that... Gaddy technically lost his uh, his greatest fight, oh, although, he, although he won a lot of other ones that are in the yeah. short on the short list for greatest fight of all time. But uh, but you know what? You just proved a point that uh, uh, that Jim Lampley says every time you bring up Gaddy Ward uh, that uh, how he has this talks about the conversation he had with Pat Lynch after the fight and Pat after the first fight and Pat Lynch was all depressed. And Jim Lampley said, Pat, nobody's ever going to remember who won this fight. And you just proved it. Yeah, it's funny, Jim. I even interviewed Jim just a couple of weeks ago, and he he gave me that exact same story once <laughs> yeah. again. Exactly, but you know, between tears, obviously, but obviously, uh, obviously, obviously, but yes, exactly. All right, interesting stuff. I guess we'll uh, in a few weeks we will know uh, who's getting in. Um, we have a, a couple of fight cards from the weekend to discuss. Uh, first, in Monaco, uh, streaming in the U.S. on DAZN, Joe Cordina retained a 130-pound belt with a majority decision win over Edward Vasquez. While in the co-main event, Mexico's Adrian Curiel produced a big upset when he knocked out South African Sivanati Nonshinga in the second round to win a light flyweight belt. Kieran, you watched these. Uh, anything to add? Cordina Vasquez was a good fight. Um, 12 rounds of really very closely fought action. Um, you know, Vasquez was the shorter guy, but he kept plowing forward behind a tight guard, landing a strong overhand right regularly. Cordina was attempting to maintain some distance, and he scored really well with some crisp combinations. Vasquez felt he'd been robbed afterward. The scores were 114-114 and 116-112 twice for the Brit. I don't think robbery is the right word, but it was one of those fights that was close enough that he could feel a little hard done by. There were a lot of close rounds um, and and two different styles. The the mauling come forward, pressure fighting of Vasquez and, and Cordina's power combos. Uh, you know, it's one of those fights where when so many rounds are close, scores can sometimes seem wider than they actually were. And it's right. just that, you know, you gave a guy eight rounds, but you gave them to him by just a, just a hair. Nonetheless, I... I think 114-114 was the best card of the three. Uh, I could certainly see 115-113 Cordina, but uh, I'd like to see it again. But I, I believe that Cordina has his eyes on featherweight titleist and compatriot uh, Lee Wood, uh, who may step up in weight to take him on. The co-main was K of the year material, uh, mm. potentially. Unfortunately, the DAZN cameras didn't quite frame it properly. And on Shinga kind of backed out half out of frame just at the moment that the punch landed. But the mistake that he made, he pulled straight back. And and Curiel saw an opportunity, landed just a booming right hand. Down went on Shinga, crashing down onto his back, half under the ropes, and, and referee Sparkle Lee called it off without counting. A terrific knockout that. Um, one other notable Saturday card on ESPN Plus from Lake Tahoe. Uh, heavyweight action in the main event, uh, F.A. Ajagba. Uh, improved to 19 and 1 with 14 KOs and made it four straight wins since his lone loss to Frank Sanchez as he dominated and stopped Australia's Joe Goodall at 50 seconds of the fourth round. And in the co feature, 
what was a competitive fight on paper between 18-0 lightweights Raymond Muratala and Diego Torres was not competitive in the ring. Muratala dominated and stopped Torres in round eight. Uh, Eric, your thoughts on these one-sided stoppage wins by Muratala and Ajagba? Uh, Murataya quickly, uh, he seems to have the goods, uh, 26 years old, trained by Robert Garcia. Uh, you'll recall this followed an impressive second round TKO win over Jeremiah Nakatila in May. He threw a beautiful combination to knock Torres down in the eighth. He called out Devin Haney afterward. Um, I'm not sure he's ready for that kind of leap. And of course, Haney is exiting lightweight anyway, but I would like to see Murataya step up to that contender level, maybe take on a, a George Cambosos or, or a Jermaine Ortiz. Um, as for a Jogba, he's really progressing and, and he's still damn young for a heavyweight. He's just 29. Um, I had semi dismissed him in the past as being too raw, but his technique keeps improving. His jab is one of the best in the division. He first hurt Goodall in the third with a seriously impressive counter right uppercut. This is two good wins in a row. First, Jean Kasabutsky in August, and now this. And uh, yeah, Goodall's pretty ordinary, but he had upset Stefan Shaw in his previous bout. I don't think Ajabo was expected to make it look quite this easy. Um, so I think he has to be taken seriously at heavyweight. I wouldn't rank him in the top 10, but I think he's in the top 20 now. Uh, he called out Jolet Zhang, uh, although... Zhang may have other plans. Uh, so actually, why don't we shift to our news main event and discuss those other plans in the context of a lot of things happening in the heavyweight division. The reverberations continue following Tyson Fury's wretched performance against Francis Ngannou in Saudi Arabia last week. As we said last week would likely be the case, the proposed December 23rd date for Fury's unification clash with Alexander Usyk is not going to be the date. It's been pushed back reportedly most likely until February. A December 23rd event of some kind is apparently still in the works for Riyadh, but it's reported to possibly feature Nganu, with the just-mentioned Zhilai Zhang and Joseph Parker among the options. There's also been talk of a two-bout deal between Nganu and Deontay Wilder. Uh, Fury's team has been busily trying to make excuses for his embarrassing outing, including the fact that the night before the fight, he intended a big dinner event put on by the Saudi hosts. Uh, and despite initially insisting that the December 23rd date go ahead as planned, Usyk's promoter, Alex Krasiuk, delivered a stinging rebuke to Fury when he told Seconds Out that, quote, we want him to take rest, to work, and to come back at his top. That's the guy we want to beat. The version we had on Saturday, it's a sin to fight with a man like that. Kieran, your thoughts on all this? Uh, what happens next for Engano? Who's most likely to face him? And, and where does all this leave Fury? What's next for Ngannou? I don't know. I don't know if Zhang has any interest in fighting him, but it would be a pretty lucrative opportunity for him, for Zhang, and it probably wouldn't carry too much risk. I mean, I think Zhang's biggest issue has been his conditioning late in fights. And charging, by the way, Ngannou was sucking wind for much of that encounter with Fury. I don't think that's likely to be much of an issue. Um, I don't know if Ngannou wants to do that, though. Uh, you got to figure he's going to be a heavy, uh, heavy underdog there. And if he does lose convincingly to another good heavyweight that might burst his bubble pretty swiftly right mm -hmm. um my man joseph parker looked pretty good in scoring a ko win on that card um and that might be a bit more competitive but uh, honestly although nganu performed so much better than we expected he did clearly as you and i said last week lose that fight against a truly awful fury and right. although as I think we mentioned last week, he could be considered to be competitive against a lot of good heavyweights. He'd be the underdog against most of them. Um, but that's it. 
I think he deserves an opportunity to cash in on last weekend, and it seems he'll be getting that. Uh, As for Fury, um, look, one never wants to overreact to one fight, especially a fight that somebody won. But let's be honest, his reputation's an absolute tatters. Um, And the excuses from his camp aren't helping. Uh, Yes, as his manager pointed out, Fury was at a big dinner the night before the fight. And yes, that's insanely strange that the organizers would do that. But it also shows where their priorities lie. They aren't boxing people. They don't give a shit about boxing. It's all about praising the Saudi regime. And that's why they held these events. Um, but here's the thing. Ngannou was at that dinner too. Uh, right. <laughs> and sure, Fury had been out of the ring for 11 months. Ngannou hadn't fought in two years. And he'd had a knee operation. And I cannot stress this enough had not boxed them in professionally in his life. (laughs) Um, So, um, look, Fury has shown skills and talent at times that I never expected him to display. And at his best, he's a unique and and exciting boxer. And personally, I also appreciate all the things he's done for mental health awareness. But he's opened up the door, as you said last week, to a reassessment of his place in the Pantheon. And I think he's been able to distract people from what might be an inherent unpleasantness by winning consistently. And I think the fall will be great for him if he doesn't turn it around. He really, really, really needs to train, to focus, to pour everything he has into beating Alexander Usyk. Because if after this showing against a non-boxer, he loses to a man he's derided as a middleweight, uh, his legacy is not completely shot, but very frayed, I think. Yeah, um... A quick thought on on, on Ganu. Um, maybe I'm just overly swayed by this one performance, but uh, you know, it is just crazy to think that after one career boxing match, you you can put Ngannou's name next to that of any heavyweight contender, and I'm like, yeah, you know that that's an interesting fight. That's not an easy one to call. I mean, like, I don't yeah. think I could bring myself to favor him or pick him against Wilder or Zhang, but. I can't dismiss him uh, even against those yeah. guys. And I probably could pick him against Parker. I, I don't know. Um, it's just remarkable. Um, as for Fury, a friend of the show, Will Alston, sent me a message. He wondered if there's ever been a more damning win in boxing history mm-hmm. than Fury over Engano. Now, I should probably save deep consideration for a possible top five list down the road. Um, but uh, off the top of my head, if you remove bad decisions from the conversations, uh, you know, we're talking about legit wins, which this was whatever Joe Rogan and Pat McAfee and other people who don't understand boxing scoring may think uh, this was a legit win among deserved wins. I think this could well be the worst win for any major boxer in history, at least at least the worst since uh, Creed eked by Balboa in their first fight. <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. It's got me sitting here thinking. I'm sure there there are there are others, but that's yeah, it's a really good question. That yeah. is a potential list actually, but that does require a bit of work. So I mean, <laughs> all right, all right, and uh, as as we'll, we'll do it learn, January. Yeah, there we go. So, so somewhere down the road, as as we'll learn when we get to the top five list this week, uh, I gave you an assignment that probably required more work than I realized, and so uh, we, you, you definitely need a break. Uh, but but before we get to that, Kieran, are you ready to play the fight game? Or, or, as or, ready as I ever am. I was, I was going to ask, or, or are you like Tyson Fury, grossly underprepared and <laughs> hoping to eke out an ugly five-clue win? I'll school you. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here's your first clue. This meeting of two future Hall of Famers was scheduled for 15 rounds at Yankee Stadium 
but not all 15 rounds were needed. They rarely were in either man's career. Okay. Yankee Stadium, by Jove. Yes. So that was a fair old while back, I'm going to wager. That is a uh, a good wager, plus scheduled for 15 rounds, so that uh, yes. that also gives you mm, some idea of the possible be up through the 80s, but I'm going to guess it's a fair bit back. I'm, I'm going to assume it's like a 1950s type fight. Okay. Okay, he says non-committally. <laughs> you can go ahead and wager that if you I, want. I'm not telling you the exact decade right now, no. Okay, but I will say I will enough. say it is pre eighties. Yes. I don't know, but in my head now the path that I am going to follow. I have a time period in my head, and I'm going to stick with that for the next several clues, <laughs> even if those clues tell me that I'm wrong. If 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 I find you going far astray, I will I will attempt to redirect. But uh, but no okay. get, no no guess here. You want to get to clue two? Yes, please. Okay. Um, so Clue 2 begins with a fun fact I didn't know that I learned from Wikipedia. This bout was scheduled for September 20th of the year in which it took place, but was delayed to September 21st due to hurricane warnings. Now, that won't help you at all, but it is a fun fact. Uh, the second part of the clue will hopefully help you a little. When it did indeed take place on September 21st of that year, the challenger dropped the champion in round two, but the champion rallied to stop the challenger in round nine. I, I feel like there's a I don't know why I think because I in my head I feel like it's a 1950s sort of fight and Yankee mm -hmm. Stadium feels like the kind of place he would be my first thought was that this is a Rocky Marciano fight okay okay just see this is why you're good at poker <laughs> isn't it <laughs> I'm waiting for you to keep talking it out, wait, make some kind of guess, and then and then I'll decide how much to tell you or not tell you or or declare you correct, perhaps. I think it's a Rocky Marciano fight, but I don't know against because I have a feeling he probably fought a bunch at Yankee Stadium, and he he did bounce up off the canvas a few times, I think, Rocky. Mm-hmm. fight um i will uh, I, I, don't, I will i will no, take I'm you back take to against someone maybe. <laughs> okay uh here i'm going to just remind you of one part of the first clue that may okay. help you to make a guess right now or it may not but that uh two future hall of famers not all 15 mm. rounds were needed they rarely were in either man's career so the point being, these were these were both knockout. The loser artists. also scored a lot of knockouts. Mm -hmm. Oh, Archie Moore! You got it. On two, on two with a little help. We'll call it a two point one uh, yes. win there. Uh, but that was Archie yeah, Moore, I, king of the knockouts. Yes, that was that was uh, well done, Kieran. Uh, I will give you the remaining clues, but the the answer for anyone uh, who is not familiar with the fight: Rocky Marciano, KO nine, Archie Moore, September twenty first, not September twentieth, nineteen fifty five. Uh, just uh, about six weeks before Doc Brown invented time travel. Um, so uh, <laughs> clue three would have been. The man who was stopped in round nine saw his record slip to 149, 20, and 8. And both winner and loser were part of the International Boxing Hall of Fame's first induction class in the modern category in 1990. Um, my fourth clue, I had a little fun with this one. Clue four, 
I'm not going to tell you what the winner improved his record to. That would make it too obvious. <laughs> I have to save that for the fifth clue. Uh, I feel like you. I might have gone with that. I might have. That might have. Yeah. I, that might yeah, have I, I, done it. Yeah, I think that would have given it away. I don't think you would have needed clue five. Of course, you got in clue two. So, but anyway, clue five would have been okay, fine. The winner improved to 49 and 0 with this victory and made the rock solid decision to retire without fighting again at age 33, while the loser, whose age was the subject of much debate, dropped back down in weight and made five more defenses of the light heavyweight championship. You know, that's funny. I don't, had I not gotten it on the second, I don't think I would have gotten it on the third. I don't think that would have You don't think one, 149, 20, and 8, with, if you were locked in, if at that point if at that point I said, yes, Rocky Marciano is correct, you don't think you would have uh, thought of Archie Moore at a uh, record may, like that? Maybe, maybe if you'd said yes. To, but I mean, if I hadn't even figured it was definitely Rocky Marciano, then right. I don't know. Because, I mean, I could have been yeah, in the 50s. That, I mean, it was a ridiculous record, but there were other contenders right. for ridiculous records around that time but True. but yes yes and i actually don't think i'd realized that was his did i not know that was his last fight i don't know that i did know that it yeah was that was that was rocky's final final defense he did not retire immediately after i i can't tell you how many months it was but it was he you know he he remained potentially thinking about another fight for a, for a while and then and then announced his retirement that was his last fight yeah. i didn't too before uh, you must have at some point. Well, whatever, whatever your track record, well done. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. I enjoyed that one. All right. Uh, it is time for the top five challenge to finish off. Uh, last week, you asked me to come up with a list of the top five showbox fights of all time. And I'm going to be up, honest up front. Uh, as you hinted at earlier, this was a lot of work. <laughs> or it would have been had I chosen to do it. Um, there are a lot of fights <laughs> over two decades or so, many of which I haven't seen, many of which I don't remember. So thank heavens you gave me the opportunity to phone a friend. And I did. Uh, last week's guest, longtime Showbox analyst Steve Farhood, gave me a top six list. And I thought to myself, self, there's no way that there's a fight that should be on this list that Steve has forgotten. He doesn't do that. So <laughs> what I chose to do was just take that top six list, watch them or watch as many as I could, read about them as well, and organize them in a way that seemed good for me. There were a couple that I would never have considered uh, but or, or even thought about, but then there are some that definitely we remember. And uh, so there you go. This is okay. the Farhood slash Mulvaney <laughs> top five list. So if you have any issues with any of these, take them to Steve. <laughs> Absolutely. That is that is the wise approach, though. There are way too many fights to consider them all. You know, you know, Steve's top six is going to be solid. Work with that. Smart. Yeah. All right. So we'll start, actually, because it's a list of six. Let's start with the honorable mention. OK. Uh, not a fight. It's a fight that we saw that we commented on. It's not necessarily a fight that I would have necessarily thought about. But uh, then I watched a little bit of it back. And yeah, actually, it was pretty good. Uh, it was Jen Elson. Figueroa, Boca Chica, uh -huh. 110, Mark Reyes Jr., February 17th, 2021. It was a fun back-and-forth welterweight fight. It was so closely contested that according to CompuBox, both men threw the exact same number of punches, 579. Boca Chica landed 156, and Reyes, 158. Uh, unfortunately, the closeness wasn't necessarily 
uh, reflected in the scores. Uh, Boca Chica edged it. There was a 95-95 score in there, a 96-94, and also a 97-93 that may have been a bit wide. It was just a very good, close, all-action, high-paced contest. And it was the last fight that Boca Chica won, certainly the last fight so far. Uh, he then, in his next outing, was awarded a draw against Jannard Bunch that he didn't merit. Then he lost to Roman Villa. And then, just this past Wednesday, he lost again to Alberto Palmetta. But at this moment, it was a real high. He won a, a very closely contested, exciting fight on Showbox, and for a brief period, became a Showtime Boxing Podcast cult hero. Uh, indeed, yes. Uh, so I, I suppose the proper thing to do is just respond with a with three simple words to Nelson Figueroa Boca Chica. <laughs> and now you can move on <laughs> to number five. <laughs> All right. Number five, Ivan Baranchik. Uh, winning a 10-round decision over Abel Ramos on February 10th, 2017. The scores suggest that this wasn't an especially close contest. But although Baranchik, who of course would then go on to be involved in another classic a couple of years later, ultimately proved too much for Ramos um, and, and really kind of took over a little bit down the stretch, what a fight this was in stretches. Uh, it really kicked off in the third round. Uh, Ramos really beginning to take the fight to Baranchik, really putting the pressure on him, was winning the round comfortably when Baranchik just landed a roundhouse right out of nowhere that dropped Ramos against the, the ropes. Ramos popped back up, but just as our, our friend Steve Farhood was musing aloud about, how do you score this round? Ramos was dominating it, and then Baranchik scored the knockdown. Boom! Ramos landed a hook that sent Baranchik tumbling and rolling over the canvas uh, right before the bell. When Baranchik went down, Baranchik went down, didn't he? Yes, I mean, he, yes. it was just a trademark of his. <laughs> um, Baranchik dropped Ramos again in round four. Uh, that was the last of the uh, knockdowns, but there was a lot of back and forth. It was a real slugfest, despite Ramos' efforts to turn it into a, a boxing contest. Baranchik threw 500 power punches, power punches, and connected on 51% mm. of them. Wow. The scores, 97-92, 99-91, bizarrely, and 97-93 really didn't do justice to a very good fight. So I didn't really remember that one, but there's a, there are a lot of fights to, 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 to consider here. I trust Steve's memory a lot more than, than mine. I do know Baranchik was found himself in some real knockdown drag out fights emphasis on knockdown um that yeah that I'm, I'm sure this was a good one even though i don't remember it particularly and i i should note here that i did not make my own counter top five list i jotted down like eight fights that passed through my mind for consideration uh we haven't hit on any of them yet but i i trust uh, steve's mind better than mine on, on these and i'm sure byron check ramos was a was a real war I think certainly three of these of the final four will be on your list. Okay. Uh, that's for certain. And, and maybe four. Number four, Carlos Abreu, KO4, Irving Garcia, mm -hmm. uh, May 1st, 2009. Uh, this contest was wild after a relatively cautious opening minute or two. Abreu threw a right hand, left it out there a little bit too long before he pulled it back, left himself open. And Garcia responded with a shot that sent Abreu to the canvas. He bounced up at two, settled down. Dominate was dominating the second until another Garcia shot had him in trouble on shaky legs before he in turn came right back at the end of the round. The third was relatively quiet compared to what came before and what would come after. Um, in the fourth, uh, Abreu walking into another counter shot that dropped him again. This time Abreu was in serious trouble. Garcia moving in for the kill, but Abreu turned the tables again, unleashing a furious combination that drove Garcia backwards into the ropes. And then with just a few seconds remaining in the round, dropping him to the floor in a heap, 
prompting referee Jack Reese to stop it at 2.59 of round four. Yeah, that that is one of the ones that was on my list and I think probably has a case even for possibly being number one. That was just a mm-hmm. one-up one. It depends what you, what you like, but if you're the kind of person who will take a a Foreman Lyle or a Zapata Baranchik uh, <laughs> over over like a more skillfully fought great 10 round or 12 round kind of fight. Th- this is right up your alley as a potential number one. Yeah, this this was a wild one. Talking a wild number three, Kendall Holt, KO1 Ricardo Torres, July 5th, 2008. If you blinked, you missed this 140 pound title fight. Uh, Torres dropped Holt uh, within seconds of the opening bell. With a right hand, Holt bounced to his feet almost instantly. The two exchanged furious punches in close. Holt was clipped, stumbled forward, touched his gloves on the canvas. Knockdown number two. The two re- men returned to the action. And a short right hand from Holt not only knocked Torres into the, into the ropes and down, it knocked him out cold. Torres just slumped, half, half crouched. Uh, uh, slumped against the ropes. He was out completely cold, uh, prompting referee Jay Nady to call the contest at just 61 seconds of the opening round. Yeah, those were 61 very crazy wild seconds, and uh, I was actually there at this fight. Um, How were you? I, I was. So I was, it was July, what you said, 08? Is that right? Uh, I think That's correct, that, yeah. yeah. So it was it was July in Las Vegas. I was there covering the World Series of Poker for my day job at All In Magazine at the time. And uh, there was a show box in town and I sort of carved out a little time in my schedule to, uh, you know, apply for a ringside uh, press credential. And uh, I don't think I ended up uh, actually writing anything about the fight necessarily. But, uh, you know, that's uh, we do that sometimes we get press passes when we can. (laughs) Uh, I just wanted to see a fight and see the show box folks and see Steve and all that. And so I went. I was there. This was wild uh, and very, very memorable. And, you know, I, I was we had like a list, um, I think, that they sent us in like 2018 of all the showbox fights to that point. And I kind of scrolled through it for as as my limited prep for this. And and it occurred to me, I, I was probably at about 10 or 12 showbox cards over the year. I, over the years, I was starting with the third show ever at Mohegan Sun uh, with uh, Kermit Cintron in the co-feature uh, as a rising prospect. I was at that one. The last one I was at was the one in, uh, in Bethlehem. And uh, somewhere in between, I was at uh, Holton Torres. Wow. I... I... Don't know how I never knew that story, but that was good. Yeah, that must have been an amazing fight. Just baffling to see that happening, I would think. And, and I was able oh. to get back to my duties covering poker quickly. <laughs> there you go. All right. Number two, Ebo Elder, KO12, Courtney Burton, December 17th of 2004. I heard that little noise in the background. This <laughs> this, is I, on I, fi- <laughs> I figured this was either two or one at this point. Yep. And I'm, I'm still uncertain whether it should be two or one, actually. Um, brutal. This fight was brutal. This was the kind of fight that ends careers. And indeed, it would be the last win of Elder's career. He'd retire after suffering back-to-back losses after this fight. And Burton, who entered with a record of 21-2, and two, went 1-4 and four after this fight before retiring himself. This was basically a career killer for both men. It was a tough, tough 140-pound fight. Elder was a late replacement, struggled with Burton early on. His eyes starting to swell kind of early as, as he repeatedly staggered after catching Burton punches, but he kept coming. Uh, and particularly around seven, seven, eight, and nine, he really turned the tide. Now it was Burton who was taking the bulk of the punishment. Burton kind of steadied the ship for a bit, but then in the 12th, Elder came out looking like a 
gargoyle. Uh, his yeah. face was so horribly swollen. He was tired too, and early in the in the round, he was just bending over at the waist and taking punches. And you had to think, oh, maybe a stoppage is on the cards here. It looked entirely possible, but suddenly, a right and a left out of nowhere, Hurtburton, who was obviously very, very tired as well. Combination put him down. He rose at six, but another combo immediately after dropped him face first along the ropes. And Elder, for the last time in his career, was the winner. This was brutal. Yeah, and you know, I did not rewatch it in, in preparation for this. Uh, so I, I didn't really remember the various details of the fight. The thing that sticks with me from this one is just an image at the end, mm. after it's over, of Elder down on his knees in some sort mm-hmm. of relief, prayer, swollen, but kind of, I think, tears coming out from what's left yeah. of the slits in his eyes. <laughs> just, yeah. this, just this incredible image of a, of a man who has been on the receiving end of a beating, but just scored this incredibly dramatic win. And uh, yeah, this, this one is certainly in the conversation for number one. And now I am curious what your number one is. Cause I still have a few possibilities. I'm not sure exactly what it's going to be. Spoiler alert. Steve mentioned it last week. Uh, Sechu ah, Powell, okay. KO1, yes. Cornelius Bantridge, May 6, 2005. Three landed punches, three knockdowns, one knockout. Uh, <laughs> they came at each other from the start. Uh, within seconds, they'd landed on each other simultaneously. It looked as if it was a double knockdown, um, although Powell may have actually slipped while knocking down Bundridge. Either way, referee Dick Flaherty didn't call either of them a knockdown, perhaps confused by what the hell <laughs> yes. was going on so early in the contest. Um, then immediately, Powell landed a big left hand. Bundridge went down on his back, bounced up, staggered, zapped Judah-like across the ring into the ropes, bounced off the ropes, looked fine, staggered again, went down again, yep. and this time Flaherty called it off. Total time elapsed. 22 seconds. Take yeah. that, Holton Torres. Yeah, I guess unofficially, you could say three punches landed, four knockdowns if you count Bundridge <laughs> you getting could, up yeah. and going down again. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, th- this is a, a fine pick for number one. Sort of, again, it depends your criteria, what makes a exactly. great fight. But I think in a way, this is the signature showbox fight that there, that there ever was just, uh, and the, and the most unforgettable showbox fight. So a, a fine pick for number one. So I'm curious about what else you had. So I had a few others jotted down that I, that I, I think, Probably, again, I hadn't thought of five and six, but I think your top four may well have been my top four in some some order. Uh Um, So these other ones, none of them necessarily commanded a a top five spot. But the other ones that occurred to me were um, John Molina and Mickey Babe, which was um, maybe not an all time great fight, just a great dramatic come from behind 10th round knockout, like a great 10th round, but maybe not quite Uh an all time great fight. Juan Arango and Mike Arniotis is just another brutal, highly competitive fight that, that stood out to me. Uh, similar one, uh, Americo Santos, W10, Isaac Mendoza, just another great action fight. And the last one that probably didn't merit even strong consideration, but it just came up recently in some other list of something or other, uh, Lucien Butte uh, and Labrado Andrade. Again, amazing, oh, yeah. amazing, memorable finish. Not necessarily like a great fight from start right. to finish. So. Right. But indeed, as you said, super memorable and super controversial. And yes, though, uh, yes. no, no, I, yeah, I'd actually even forgotten that was Showbox. Yes, absolutely. All right. All right. Um, that will do it 
for this week's edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Many thanks again to our very good friend Raul Marquez for joining us. We will be back next week. Uh, we have, what is it now, seven or eight episodes remaining? Something like that. Each one is going to be more amazing than the last. That's <laughs> our tea to you right there. Uh, until then, thank you very much for listening. Be safe. Be well.